Today's episode is brought to you by Blue Shell Roadside Assistance, because there's nothing like pure chance to put you in first. Especially when the odds are stacked against you and it's a one-on-one race, so every item is basically a blue shell, except for that stupid one that turns everything into mines. Uh, anyway, it's not Mario Kart. It's 1997's Mega Man Battle and Chase on today's episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Hello, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Garlisle, and the show is the chronicle of my attempts to play through the entire Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the 100-plus games in between as I can. Today, we're tackling another one of those times where Capcom decided, hey, Mega Man's a big franchise, let's try and expand it outwards into other genres. This time, it's the PlayStation-exclusive title, Battle and Chase, which, as the opening alluded to, is a racing game. Specifically, a kart-style racing game. So, very much your Crash Team Racing, Mario Kart, Diddy Kong Racing. You know, this was the prime era for everybody to be doing mascot racers. Although, before you think, hey, they just jumped on board Mario Kart 64's popularity, this game only released a small handful of months after Mario Kart 64 did. Clear your mind that this is just a clone right off the bat trying to capitalize on popularity. I mean, maybe some of it might have been driven, but also, this game's gonna do some unique things. First, though, I have to set the stage of how much of a pain in the neck it is to play this game. (laughs) Much like the arcade games, this game had limited releases that are not necessarily easily accessible. This game originally released in Japan, then released in Europe, and then never released in North America until the Mega Man X collections in the early 2000s, where it was an unlockable bonus game if you completed Mega Man X 1, X 2, and X 3 on that version of the game. Now, every version of this game is actually a little bit different from each other. The European release is officially translated, but it only runs at 50 frames per second, because that has long been an issue in this era with European releases, is that they just run slower by design. And I didn't want to deal with that, so I tried playing the North American release on the X Collection. Unfortunately, right now, I don't have a functioning TV, so I had to do it through emulation. And after going through all the work of unlocking it, it turns out running an emulator for a PlayStation on an emulator for a PlayStation 2 in order to play this game, um, let's just say I wish I got 50 FPS. And that was one of the reasons why I chose to actually play the original Japanese PlayStation version of this game. But for all of the fact that I was not able to read Japanese and had to keep constantly cross-referencing things and looking at videos of, like, English endings and stuff, there were some advantages to playing this game in Japanese. The game loses a lot of its personality in the English releases because the Japanese version exclusively does voice acting. And, yeah, I know, we were just talking about how bad Mega Man voice acting can be with Mega Man 8. That's much less of the case in Japanese. And, I mean, maybe I'm just, because I'm not a native Japanese speaker, maybe it actually is awful voice acting, and I just would not know the difference. But there is a ton of stuff. Your races are actually commentated. Characters, like, taunt each other during the races. Before races in the Grand Prix mode, which we'll get to, there's actually interviews with the different racers. Let me tell you, it is very fun hearing blues just give a flat 
no comment. In in straight up English, by the way, he's not even speaking Japanese. That wasn't me translating anything. This is literally what he says. There is none of that in the English releases of Battle and Chase. And it does make a big difference to how the game feels because everything about like those interviews and stuff just had to be completely cut. They didn't record new lines, they just cut out everything to do with that voice acting. But different game versions aside, let's dig into what this game actually is. I've said straight up, it is a racing game. You have 10 characters initially to choose from. You have a time trial mode where you play a single track a versus mode where you play against a computer or another player opponent, and you have a Grand Prix mode, which functions as sort of a story mode with extra functions that we'll get into in a minute. Once you are actually out racing on the tracks, it's fairly standard of what you expect of a kart racer. You have Accelerate, you have Brake, you're going to drive five laps on every course in this game, and a lap usually takes somewhere in the range of 25 to 40 seconds, so most races in this game are within like two to four minutes. As you drive around the course, you'll have to deal with different terrain hazards, different course shapes, yada yada. This is a game where the course is like hard walled at the sides. Even if you go airborne, you will never accidentally like jump out of the course. There are invisible walls everywhere. I'm going to try to avoid comparing this game too much to Mario Kart 64, because, I mean, that is kind of a defining classic of the genre, but it is something that is just kind of missing, is that sort of interaction of accidentally throwing yourself off the track, although there's plenty enough ways to screw yourself over in this game. I do want to mention that control-wise, this game is very simple for a racer. While there is a brake button and stuff, you almost never really want to use it if you can help it. It doesn't actually really help your turning. Similarly, there is no manually activated drift button in this game, or like a hop into a drift or anything like you might see in other kart racers. If you want to do a sharp turn, you just have to start turning really early, and eventually you'll go into a drift automatically, but that costs you some speed, and I want to stress this at the moment. The control is okay in this game, but it does not feel great. It is easily one of the biggest problems with this game that there just is not a whole lot of technical execution ceiling to it. That really sucks. Racing games tend to live and die by how good their controls are, and this game is not particularly deep about it. It's not unplayably bad, it's just really basic, and some of the later tracks really feel like this game was designed with better controls initially that got cut back somewhere near the end. That negativity aside, I'm going to dig into a couple of the things that make this game a little bit different. First is the way that this is essentially, in many ways, a one-versus-one racing game. Yes, there may be minor robots on the track adding additional slots and occasionally getting in your way and stuff from time to time, based on, like, Sniper Joe or even Yellow Devil models as cards. They don't matter. Realistically, 99% of the time, it is you versus your singular rival in this game. They're the only ones who will be, like, assaulting you with items and all that sort of stuff. They're the ones that matter. There was maybe one race the entire time that I played this game where neither me nor my rival ended up being in first place, and I actually lost to a random generic card. Once in several dozen tracks. So... When I say that this is a 1v1, that's a very different feeling from a lot of other racing games. 
The second thing, furthering the kind of battle sensibility of the game, is the fact that the tracks are populated by enemies. Everything from, like, little metars and traffic cone robots that are just there to act as tiny little speed bumps, to, like, cannons that are occasionally firing at you. You would think, at first, that they are hazards, but actually, they serve a purpose with the game's item and attack systems. The item system in this game is such that, rather than picking up items to use, off of, like, balloons on the field, or, like, driving over certain panels, or anything else you would expect of any other kart racer, you essentially get an item by racking up 10 points worth of enemy kills on the field. So running down these metars and stuff might tiny, tiny little bits slow you down, but it also is what generates the points that gets you these items. Now, the items in this game, some of them are kind of familiar. You have an item that gives you, like, invincibility and a small boost for a short time. You have an item that leaves behind a mine you can detonate when you press the button again. And, of course, you essentially have the Thunderbolt from Mario Kart, which fries your opponent's vehicle, forcing them to spin out and then drive slower for a little while. But you also have a couple unique items to this game. One of them is the Mine Transformer, which transforms small enemies on the field into mines for a little while. This item sucks, by the way. I hate this thing. It's oftentimes just as detrimental, if not feeling worse to you, than it is to your opponents. There's the threefold chance, which doesn't give you an item right now, but rather multiplies the duration of the effect or like the explosion radius on the mine, etc. of your next item that you get. And then there's the blocker, which temporarily disables your opponent's attack. And that's another thing that is different in this game, is every cart comes with its own unique pair of attacks that are activated using the R button. There is a gauge that's constantly filling up for each character. Whenever you press the R button, they will do an attack and then empty out the gauge. If the gauge wasn't full, they will perform a basic attack, which is usually weaker. When the gauge is full, they will perform a charged attack. Calling them attacks may not even necessarily be accurate. Sometimes these are like weaker and stronger versions of a thing, but sometimes they're completely different functions. Sometimes they're not attacks at all. This is another thing that makes Battle and Chase really distinctive, actually, is usually when you're in a kart racer, characters are defined by the differentiation in like, oh, this character's got a little bit more acceleration. Oh, this one's heavier and has a higher top speed. No, throw that out the window in this game. Battle and Chase has probably the most significant differences between characters I have ever seen in a kart racer. Admittedly, kart racing is not my go-to genre. I'm not super experienced with it, but in a little bit here, I'll start covering the different characters, and like, there is things to talk about for every single one of the 12 racers that are available in this game. Every one of them has distinct and unique stuff, except Mega Man and Base, who are exactly clones of each other, but we'll come back to that. The final thing that really makes Battle and Chase distinctive is its Grand Prix mode. Usually when you hear Grand Prix mode, you would think of, okay, let's just race these tracks back to back, and my total score, based on my placements, is going to determine whether I win the Grand Prix. No. Grand Prix mode, you can pick any of the 10 basic characters to play as. You will then face off against 8 of the other characters in whatever order you wish on their home tracks, just like it was a Mega Man game. Then you will have two final stages against Base, or Mega Man if you were playing as Base, and a final stage against Dr. Wily. However, what separates 
Grand Prix mode from all the other modes is a really unique function to battle and chase, which is that when you defeat an opponent, you are able to steal a piece of their machine. And then you can build your machine for future races out of the bits and pieces that you have acquired from the different machines. And with what I said earlier, the vehicles in this game are exceptionally distinct from one another. You're not going to be stealing the weapons that each character has. That is going to be stuck to the character that you are racing as. But you can grab all the different special effects, the engine properties, the terrain immunities, the weird control change-ups, like all sorts of fun things can be stolen from your opponents and then used strategically to beat more difficult opponents. Plus, you can use that constructed vehicle in the time trial and versus modes afterwards. This customization, it's not the only kart game that is out there with customization. But again, I really want to stress this. The carts in this game are crazy in how different they are. So when I say you can build your cart out of a bunch of different pieces of different carts, you have an insane level of customization in this game in terms of how much impact that customization actually has. That provides you with a basic idea of what this game is like and playing it. Let's hit up basically a Grand Prix structure and that'll give me a chance to talk about the characters and their courses. First off, I'll talk about Mega Man and also Base. Even though you'll be facing one of them, like you're wind up right before Dr. Wily, they are fairly simple characters and they provide us a decent baseline. Mega Man and Base don't really have gimmicks in this game. They are well-rounded machines that focus on acceleration, that just makes them easy to use because they can recover well from mistakes, and boy howdy is there a lot of things trying to cause mistakes. What does make Mega Man and Base distinct, not from each other, but from the rest of the cast, is that their basic attack is a forward shot that can be used to eliminate enemies and obstacles, and their charge shot is a, well, charge shot that helps deal with larger enemies very quickly and can also spin out other racers if you hit them with it. The spammability of their basic shot is actually a big advantage to them in terms of being able to rack up points in order to use items frequently. For the most part, they just serve as a really solid baseline you can depend on. If you have to face Mega Man, his track is fairly simple. Bases is kind of a harder version of the track, but you will find like a little bit of dirt on each track, which slows down most machines. Keyword, most. These tracks also have walls that will respawn on each lap that either you need to drive around them or you need to destroy them with various characters' weapons. Next up, we'll talk about Roll. I'll cover Roll's track first, because it is the simplest track in the game. It is a very straightforward loop with, like, a little bit of dirt and a little bit of mines and nothing too special. It gives you a very, like, easy access into the game. Roll herself is also intended for beginners, but she's a little bit different. She has good control, she has decent acceleration, and she has actually one of the better top speeds in the game while she is not in first. The moment that Roll is in first, her top speed actually drops to be one of the most mediocre in the game. She is great at catching up to take first, 
She doesn't drift slide when she turns for a while, which is both an advantage and a disadvantage. And rather than attacks, her R button abilities allow her to jump. Either a short hop for just a constantly spammable, or like a big spinning jump that does actually deal damage on contact for her charged version. Her lack of projectiles can be a problem in certain courses. It can make it much more difficult to deal with like enemies in specific places sometimes. On the flip side, it can let you jump over pits in the couple courses that have them. Repeatedly hopping through terrain that would otherwise slow you down, Roll can just ignore it, or at least be minimally affected by it. Like, even for a character that is kind of designed for beginners, Roll comes with her own unique set of advantages that's actually really neat. Protoman's track is slightly more complicated than the previous character's tracks. The main pain in the neck part of Protoman's stage is just these rising pillars that you can see the spots where they will pop out of the ground, but whether they will or not is completely at random, and sometimes they literally pop out right in front of you and just bring you to a sudden stop. It's kind of irritating. As for Protoman himself, he is a top speed and control-focused vehicle with poor acceleration. However, his vehicle always has a shield out at all times, and with his basic attack function, you can swap whether that shield is in front of you or behind you. While it's in front of you, you can drive through a couple things that otherwise would bring you to a stop. While it's behind you, you don't have to worry about your rival shooting you down with ranged projectiles. Charged up, he does get a buster shot like Mega Man in base. There's nothing too special about it. He trades the ability to spam kill enemies for more protection against his enemies. He's got some interesting stuff going on too. Then we get to Gutsman and we start getting really crazy. Gutsman's home track is a mountainous track that is covered in dirt just about everywhere. And it is also the perfect track for Gutsman because he is startlingly good. His natural top speed is the worst in the game. However, Gutsman goes faster whenever he is going uphill, which normally slows down other vehicles, and I mean much faster, and he also goes much faster when he is on dirt, which is a little bit of a reversal, because it means some tracks play completely differently, because where possible you want to spend as much time off-road as Gutsman. He's also casually resistant to bumps and crashes, he does not care if he runs into mines, they literally do nothing to him except, like, slightly bump him. His basic attack is the super arm, which is actually good in this game. Pressing it once, you will just catch a boulder, and then when you press the button again, you will launch it a short distance. It's a full power attack that is moderately spammable, which is actually really nice. If you let him fully charge up and then fire, he just slams the ground and all vehicles anywhere near him briefly lose control. You don't really need that too much, but the point is this. Gutsman's actually really good. There's some tracks where he sucks. If it's a flat track that is, like, almost entirely just road, he's really not that good. But on a lot of the wilder tracks, Gutsman does great. And if you're playing the Grand Prix and you have the opportunity, you should absolutely steal his tires. Being able to go faster on dirt is a huge advantage in a lot of races. Then we get to Quickman, who, surprise, Quickman's in a racing game, who'd have thunk? Quickman's stage is actually a stage that will slow you down a ton. A very windy, mountainous course with lots of hills, and it's the one course that predominantly uses water as an obstacle. Water just slows you down like dirt while you're driving over it, but it's also worth noting, unlike dirt, no vehicle in the game has an advantage in water. 
the closest that you get is actually Roll's ability to spam jump through it. As for Quickman himself, he's a fairly speedy machine overall and gets a small further boost whenever he is just racing on standard road, but if he happens to stumble into the rough on the outside of the track, he is going to slow down much more than any other racer. Also, Quickman starts every race off in a sprint. For the first 50 seconds of the race, he has some of the best speed and acceleration in the game. After that 50 seconds, it drops off, but if that gets you a significant lead, that can be plenty by itself. However, one of the most unique things about Quickman is the fact that he trades away the ability to attack enemies. Quickman's default action, when he's not charged, is actually a small push sideways that you can use to influence your turns and, like, adjust your angle a little bit easier and just get a finer degree of control than any other racer. His charged action is a small, and I mean, like, not even even a second long turbo boost that does accelerate him, but if you accidentally fire it and then run into something during that short period, he will spin out. This gives him a lot of potential to outrace his opponents, but you do have to deal with the fact that you need to run down small enemies in order to generate items. He does not have an attack. That also means that certain large targets are just out of the question for Quickman to defeat. He has to avoid them. Ooh, still with me? Okay, next up, Iceman. Iceman, as you expect, comes on a course that is just full of ice and slopes and is generally very rude. Ice in this game, if you try to turn more than like tapping the control pad repeatedly, it will cause you to spin out very quickly. This is coupled an Iceman stage with a number of actually just pits you can fall down, which honestly are the worst hazard in the game. Falling down a pit just brings you to a complete stop for like five seconds before you reappear on the course. It really hurts. As for Iceman himself, he is a bit tricky to use, but does have some advantages that can make up for it. He has a very high natural top speed, but he has poor acceleration. Uniquely, whenever he hits a jump, he actually gets to keep control of his vehicle, which most characters don't actually get to do that. Not that you go airborne a whole lot in this game, but in a couple places, the game specifically sets up that if you take certain launches, you may just like careen yourself straight into a mine that's perfectly positioned to screw with you. So Iceman man has an advantage in those times. Also, as you might expect, he is immune to the effects of ice, naturally, and he is less affected than others by dirt. His more spammable, quote-unquote, action leaves behind ice crystals on the field up to three at a time. These allow you to harass racers that you've gotten ahead of, whereas if you're behind, you can charge up his ice shot, which, if it hits an enemy, they will be completely unable to steer until they hit a wall or an enemy or something. They will just be, like, going straight forward for a while. Next up is one of the most frustrating racers to race against, Shadow Man. His track is an underground crystal mine that has a whole lot of like sharp turns to it and is actually like really difficult to avoid hitting walls in. There's also some like pillars that extend in and out of the walls that are uh, really just a pain in the neck. Shadow Man himself overall has some of the poorest performance in the game in terms of speed and acceleration, though he is more resistant to things that would normally cause him to spin out. The thing that defines Shadow Man is the fact that his 
default attack is actually insanely good. Now, his charged attack, which charges up very quickly, is just like a smoke screen that doesn't really do much. It doesn't appear to affect computers at all. But the default attack Shadow Man has is throwing out his shuriken. He's limited in rate by the fact that he has to wait for his current one to disappear before he can throw another, but it's a full-strength projectile that will pass through multiple enemies if need be, destroys every enemy in one hit, and if it happens to hit your opponent's vehicle, is effectively like hitting them with the Thunderbolt. They won't spin out, but for like 10 seconds they're going to lose about a third of their top speed. That's absurd. Shadow Man is one of the most frustrating opponents to deal with in the game, because even if he's not necessarily that fast, unless you manage to get a lead on him and it's a significant lead enough to get away from his firing range, you are going to get hit with those stupid shurikens and you are going to be constantly forced into trading back and forth. There is no clean victory against Shadow Man. <laughs> Next up, we head to Napalm Man stage, which is like an arms factory type area. You get boost pads, you get conveyor belts going on, you get deceleration zones, which are basically like a different form of rough. As for Napalm Man himself, he's kind of like Guts Man in that he has a mediocre overall performance. However, he can pick up a speed boost on the dirt like Guts Man. He ignores the painful slowdown from deceleration zones. If he hits boost panels, they last much longer for Napalm Man than other characters, so he can actually get some decent speed. His basic weapon leaves a small mine behind him, and his forward attack is a launched bomb that has quite an explosion radius. But the real power behind Napalm Man is in the fact that he gets bonus points towards item generation whenever he defeats an enemy. He can generate like twice the number of items that any other character can. So if you like spinning the roulette and just spamming attacks on your opponent, uh, Napalm Man is really, really good at that. Again, with the ability to steal parts from other racers, Napalm Man's wing parts enables you to get that item boost. I really recommend it. The last of the 10 basic characters is Springman. He is one of the most unique racers in the game and has one of the most unique tracks. His track is covered in a hazard. And I just say a hazard because there are buttons throughout the track that when pressed, rotate what hazard is active. It can be dirt, it can be ice, it can be deceleration zones, or it can just cover the track in boost pads everywhere. And whether you want to go into those hazards or avoid them is going to depend on like what vehicle and parts you are using and like what your general plan of attack is and sometimes it'll change when you're not the one changing it you just have to be ready to adapt it's a really really interesting course as for springman himself overall great overall engine and speed in fact, probably one of the better ones in the game, though he loses more than other characters if he has to go uphill. He gets, quote-unquote, luckier items. I don't necessarily know how that affects the actual item rates, but that's what the game says. And also, if he would run over a mine, he just automatically jumps into the air instead, which is kind of a cool thing. But... The real thing that drives Springman to be something completely different is the way his basic weapon works, because it's on at all times. Springman has a pair of bumpers on his car, which by default are on the left and right. With a regular action that's uncharged, you can swap them to the front and back or vice versa. These are literally bumpers. If you would be turning and you hit a wall on the side and you have the bumpers there, you will just boing off the wall. 
Plus, if you use the charged attack, this launches the bumpers outwards, which you can use to attack enemies, but you can also use it to kick off of the walls as you're doing turns to make tighter turns, or to keep yourself out of, like, hazards that are against a wall. He does just interact with the races in a fundamentally different way. Yes, as you might imagine of having two springs on your vehicle, sometimes you can end up a bit of a pinball, but also if you master it, you can really benefit from it but it's not like he's the best machine in the game or anything. After taking out your nine rivals, you will face Dr. Wily. There's no polite way to say this. F*** this race. First off, the course itself. Dr. Wily's course has a ton of sharp turns, a ton of, like, hairpin and S-weaves and stuff like that. It is also covered in, like, every type of obstacle in the game. There are pits, deceleration zones, ice, dirt. There are cannon enemies firing at you. There's mines, like... Everything is here to screw you over. And that alone would make this course really difficult. Like, I need to specify, this is a course that is designed almost expecting an F-Zero level of technical control over your vehicle. And this game has nowhere close to F-Zero level technical control. I would love to do this course as, like, a mod to F-Zero or something. It could feel amazing in other racing games, but who? Boy, is it tough in this one. But half the reason it is so brutal is that Dr. Wily is a cheating cheater. First off, in terms of speed, Dr. Wily has slow acceleration below the 300 km per hour mark. That's the speeds the game claims to have. They really don't feel like they're that speed. But once you break that mark, Dr. Wily has basically instant acceleration. This also means that minor scrapes and bumps do nothing to Dr. Wily. He just shrugs them off and keeps going. You have to straight up spin him out in order to actually bring him to a stop. Second, it's hard to spin him out. He begins the game with a barrier that prevents the first three special attacks that would hit him. This doesn't work on items, but it means that you're going to have to oftentimes hit him repeatedly with various charged attacks and other stuff in order for your weaponry to do anything to him. In terms of track immunities, he is simultaneously immune to deceleration zones, ice, and mines, which is a huge amount of the struggle of the track. If he ends up going into the dirt, he does go a little bit slower than others, and if you're playing as him on other tracks, he's weirdly slowed down more by water, but this barely affects him on his course in proportion to all the other stuff he gets to just ignore. But it's the basic attacks that really kill it. If you happen to get in front of Dr. Wily, his basic attack is just a shotgun of pellets that doesn't spin you out, but will knock you around like crazy and make it super hard to actually drive in a straight line. And if you are away from Dr. Wily, his charged attack causes explosions to just happen around you. And while again, these don't spin you out, all of a sudden there will be an explosion in front of you and you will bump off it and be turned 20 degrees sideways. And you are dealing with this on the toughest course in the game. Dr. Wily is an actively cheating jerk in this game. And uh, listen, when I beat Dr. Wily beyond the first time, We'll come back to that statement. When I beat Dr. Wily beyond the first time, I didn't feel like I necessarily outplayed him. I just felt like I got really lucky using the napalm wing to generate a ton of items and just managing to keep him down through constant lightning strikes and stuff. He is absolutely a tough final boss. I feel like beating him is more up to luck than actual skill, and I don't like that. I like tough racing games. F-Zero GX is one of my favorites of all time, and that game is legendarily difficult. 
but it's not technical skill that is necessarily being tested in this game. It's oftentimes more just kind of like luck and hoping he doesn't spam explosions around you too much that you get good items to keep him under check because... <sighs> but that's it. That's the Grand Prix. After you take down Dr. Wily, you get to claim your prize money, and, well, every character does have their own ending. They're almost entirely text with a single image at the ending. Some of them are kind of cute. Rolls driving home with the prize money and then has to swerve to avoid hitting a dog on the street because Roll's a good person. And, of course, the briefcase of money falls out of the car and just blows away to the wind. Base gets expectedly unsatisfied with beating Mega Man in a race because, hey, he wanted to actually beat Mega Man in a fight, and this totally doesn't count. And if you were wondering where Turbo Man is, he's mentioned in Quick Man's ending as specifically, hey, Quick Man goes on to try to hunt down Turbo Man, the winner of the first battle and chase tournament, to see who really is the fastest robot master. Which, hey, why wasn't Turbo Man in this game? He is literally a car. And I mean, I know that that would get a little morbid with the ability to steal parts off of him, but come on. Now, at this point, I was going to play for you the piano credits track to this game, which is a gorgeous rendition of the main theme. But then I learned something interesting. It turns out there's actually two secret endings to this game. To get one of them, you need to finish the game with Roll without ever losing a race. And then Roll will actually perform a song during the ending, and that song is... Kaze Yositaite, which is the song we'll come back to and listen to in a future episode, I'm sure. It's kind of Roll's theme song. It becomes a track that keeps coming back for future appearances of her in different games. But also, she's not the only one this happens to. The other character who gets a performance ending is Gutsman. Turns out Gutsman has some soul. <laughs> Finishing the Grand Prix is not necessarily the end of the game. Once you complete the Grand Prix, you can go back through it, and you can challenge your various opponents again. This allows you to steal more parts from them, but they're also going to get harder. They will drive better, they seem to have natural speed boosts, because that was the only way the game could challenge you, apparently. The tracks also have subtly different placements of enemies and, like, more enemies will be replaced by mines and stuff on each loop. And of course, Dr. Wily will get harder and harder. But as you collect more and more parts, you can use them. And yes, you can loot the parts off of Dr. Wily's vehicle. This can be done up to four times. On the fourth loop, you can finally steal the main body of each vehicle, which allows you to change out the attacks of your vehicle. Meaning that now, once you've completed the game four times, you can build a vehicle for time trial and versus mode out of any combination of parts that you want. There's also hidden parts in this game. In order to get them, on the second loop onwards, there is a chance when starting a race that you will be challenged by the Black Racers, which are a group of recolored generic racer enemies that are supercharged for speed. Fortunately, they're not actual opponents, so they don't spam items at you, but you are going to have to put together a very fast vehicle and drive pretty well in order to outspeed them. Every time you defeat them, somewhere on one of the courses, a hidden part will show up 
These parts are a pain in the neck to pick up, by the way. They're in spots that pretty much always guarantee you're going to have to slow down to pick them up. And if you pick them up and finish the race but didn't win, it doesn't count. These bonus parts are actually themed after different Robot Masters that weren't in the game. You can pick up Slashman's tires, which are literally tires with Slashman's claws on them, that make it so that if you bump into other racers, they will get a control penalty and a slowdown effect for a while because you just slashed their tires. You can get an engine that is based on Turbo Man, which is the best overall engine in the game. You can get Gyroman's parts as the wing parts, and it's literally a helicopter blade that will fly off on its own and try to home in on your opponent if you're anywhere close to them. When it does this, it brings them to a complete stop. It is actually really good if you can afford to use the slot. And you also have a core body that is based on Nightman, which allows you to swing his mace around with a regular attack, or launch it as an explosive with a charged attack. But that's not the only unlockable, either. There's also additional unlockables every time you complete a loop of the game. The first time you complete the loop, you will unlock Dr. Wily as a playable character for Versus and Time Trials. The second time you complete the loop, Bases track becomes unlocked in those modes. The third time that you complete the loop, Dr. Wily's track becomes unlocked. And if you complete the loop the full four times and have access to every part, you unlock a secret track which is set in outer space and is kind of a letdown. The most difficult thing about it is the fact that the floor is not visible in it, but it's not like there's hidden pits or anything, it just makes it kind of tough sometimes to gauge where the walls are. The actual track itself is extraordinarily simple and boring. But I think I did mention that there is 12 racers in this game. The 12th racer is Duo, and he's got some interesting stuff going on in how accessible he is. If you are playing the European version, or the version in the Mega Man X collection, you will unlock Duo upon completing all four loops and obtaining the four secret parts. If you are playing the Japanese PlayStation release, the only way to get Duo, supposedly it involved writing down four symbols and sending them to Capcom and getting a memory card sent to you if you were like one of the first people to successfully complete all four tracks or something, and then that memory card had a Duo unlock save file on it. Since obviously this was kind of nonsense, there was later a re-release of the game, referred to as a PlayStation the Best version to celebrate its sales, in that version of the game, Duo was automatically unlocked. For all the trouble that you might go through in order to unlock Duo, is he worth it? Oh god, yes. Being that Duo is a punchy robot, his attacks are short-range punches, basically. Surprise. He's immune to dirt and mines like Gutsman, although more vulnerable than normal to ice and deceleration zones. But the real power of Duo is in his top speed. To put this in perspective, most cars in this game have a top speed of around 440 to 480. In favorable conditions, the fastest machine would be Gutsman going uphill on dirt, and that comes in at about 510. There's a hard speed cap off of like stacking turbos and going airborne and stuff of a straight 600. But again, most vehicles will probably not regularly break 500. Duo's top speed is 568. What the hell? But that's it. That covers, basically, Battle and Chase. My overall thoughts on this game are that, at its core, the actual racing in this game is unfortunately subpar, and that is, I think, the biggest thing holding this game back. I really, really want just some 
technical thing that I can learn and master in this game to get better control on the tracks and like more interaction. As far as I could tell, watching speedruns and other people play and looking up information, there just is not that technical degree of mastery. Also, I really hate the stupid item that turns enemies into mines and is effectively just a waste of a slot. But that's really the thing holding this game back. It is a different kart racer. This is not like a four-player split-screen. You literally can't play with more than two people. And it is designed as effectively a one-on-one -on -one racing experience, which is very, very different. But it's also the fact that it is very different that makes it very distinctive. The wild differences between characters would not work in, like, a hyper-competitive racing game. Being able to, like, steal Iceman's immunity to ice and then use it against him the next time you race him. Stealing Napalm Man's property where he gets more items so that you can use more items against Dr. Wily. That is a really cool level of strategic interaction and decision-making when tackling a race that I don't think I've ever really seen in another racing game. This game is willing to be a little bit crazy, and it makes a name for itself because of it. It's just really held back by the fact that, like, yeah... The control just isn't that great. Also, you have to choose between having the full experience with like all the character of the voice acting and the commentators and stuff, or playing in a language you can understand if you're not a Japanese speaker. That's unfortunate, too. One way in which this game doesn't disappoint, though, is that the music in this game is overall actually pretty good. The soundtrack is a little bit on the short side in terms of total number of tracks. In general, any given music track actually covers about two different stages. I tried really hard not to compare this to Mario Kart 64. Mario Kart 64 had a unique track for every single course. But, on the flip side, these are actually some of the longest loop tracks we have had to date in a Mega Man game. Even the shortest track loops in this game, for when you're actually out on the course, is like a minute 30. There are games in this series that have not had a single track that has had a loop that long. And while these tracks are not like remixes of classic Mega Man themes or anything, they do a really good job overall of blending that Mega Man level of energy and drive with what fits for a racing game and just creates a pretty solid soundtrack. I quite enjoy it. So, as usual, three tracks I want to highlight. First, a goofier one, the track for the Toy Factory. This track has, like, a really just fun and joyful energy to it that sometimes, you know, rolls back and just lets you drive to it, but is, like, working in unique instrument choices like marimbas to just give it this arcadey, playful feeling that really nails the unique, playful back-and-forth of the course mechanic of Springman's stage. So, I really like this one.
Next up, for those of you who are fans of the Mega Man X style of music, the track for the Wily's bass courses is absolutely going to fit in a Mega Man X soundtrack. Like, we're talking full-on guitar carry, pumping intro. It's it's really good that this track is so high energy and impactful and driving because uh, you have to listen to this while facing Dr. Wily. And let me tell you, it took me over a dozen races on the last loop to beat him. Uh, you're going to be hearing this one a lot. Finally, my favorite track in the game is the best part of the secret track of the game, the Space Course track. Unlike the other tracks in this game, this one's actually really like understated and focused on deeper notes and melodies and stuff, and almost has a serenity to it at times that then very, very slowly rolls between like different instrumentation segments, building back up to a climax that just drops off into that serenity again. Like, I really enjoy this one. And with that, we close the book on Battle and Chase, but we don't close the book on 1997. We don't walk away from the PlayStation, either. But we're not headed to the Classic timeline, and we're not headed to the X timeline. Next time, we're going on an adventure with a brand new Mega Man. So get excited for that, because I'm excited to revisit this one. In the meantime, if you've liked the show, please feel free to drop me a line at whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter for updates on the show at whatamipodcastfor, as in the number four. Stop by waipf.podbean.com if you want to get your hands on the latest episodes as soon as possible. Thanks for listening. I've been Garlisle. And just remember, if you get the triple boost item and then combine it with the lightning bolt item, your opponent will be slowed down for like 25 seconds. And if that sounds disgusting and absolutely cheap and like it should never be allowed, you haven't raced Dr. Wily. <laughs>